0: You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Uh, I want to uh, finish our series today from Romans chapter 8. The series gets its name from a passage we're going to read today as we conclude, More Than Conquers. And uh, I've given you this series, I hope you've enjoyed it. It's, uh, Romans 8 is one of my uh, favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And uh, for anybody who suffered through my, listening to my voice last week, I'm glad you're here again. Uh, I got more people asking me, are you okay, after they listened to the podcast. <laughs> my voice was shot for service, and then, you know, so it's, it's recovering uh, this week. And so Romans 8 is where we're at, and we're going to start in verse 31 And uh, the message title, if you're taking notes uh, for today, in fact, every title has been about a declaration of a reality in our lives because of Jesus. The first one is, I am free, comes from Romans 8.1 that says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Week two, I I told you I changed it. It was originally, I am a child of God, which is true and is a declaration, but we changed it to, I am his, because I didn't preach anything about being a child of God that week. We talked about being led by the Holy Spirit and how important that is Uh, last week. I, I talked about how you're called and the declaration was I am called and how God works all things together for for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose today we're going to look at I am an overcomer I am an overcomer Romans eight thirty one says what shall what then shall we say to these things and this is in light of everything we've looked at up to this point The reality of Jesus and what he's done in us, how he's called us, how he's forgiven us, how he's set us free, how we've been adopted as children of God, no condemnation, free, also empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome the flesh and and be set free from, from the influence and the effect and the bondage to the flesh. And here's what he says. What should we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God's for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare, in case you're wondering whether or not God's for you, here's the answer to that. He who did not spare his own son. If you want to wonder whether or not God's for you, look at the cross. If you want to know what God's like and what God's after and what drives and motivates the heart of God, look at the cross. Jesus came for you and for me. He died on the cross to save sinners, to to rescue us, to set us free and bring us to God, to reconcile us, to make us right with God. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. If that's true, and it is, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? That means that everything I need, everything that God provides, he freely gives. And the evidence that God freely gives, that he heals, he provides, that he delivers, that he works all things together, that he adopts, that he does all those things that Romans 8 tells us, the result of that, or the the, the proof behind that is that he gave us Jesus. So he didn't just, when, when God gave us his best, heaven's streets are paved with gold, but he didn't give us gold. Are, are you with me? The gates of heaven are, they're called the pearly gates. We call them pearly gates because in Re- Revelation, there's this picture John has of, of literally one solid, not pieces of pearl, one solid pearl that makes up the entire gate. Not small, massive. I don't want to see the clam that came from, but anyway. But, but, but God, God, is, God, God has the most beautiful treasures that make up heaven, but the greatest treasure is what God gave for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? God's not holding out on you. God's not against you. He's for you. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That's the word that means he makes you right with himself. Forgiven, free, made the righteousness of God. Who is you condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? I mean, it just keeps getting better and better. Watch what he says in the next two verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, trouble, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all these things, not absent, not apart from, not kept even from, but in the midst of all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Last two verses, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. I mean, Paul's writing this, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's trying to think of something. He says, nothing, no created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That's good news, church. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. He could have used any language. He describes all these, and they're they're bad things. Let's just be real. They're difficult things. They're tribulation. He starts with tribulation. That word means pressure, difficulty, overwhelming pressure. He says in the midst of that, even persecution and peril and sword, all all, all these things that occupy human history and that especially are weaponized against his people, the church. There's been over 76 million people who've been martyred for their faith since the day of Pentecost, who've given their lives for the good news of Jesus since the day of Pentecost. Paul says, of all those things that are thrown against, the worst that the world can throw at the church still can't stop it. Here's why. In all these things. Oh, pastor, did you see what's happening in the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been happening for a long time. Anytime we take God out of the equation, it gets bad. Let's, let's, you take God out of your marriage. You take God out of your family. You take God out of a city. You take God out of a community. You take God out of government. You take God out of any area of culture, and it will turn bad very quickly. But here's what he says. In all these things, he doesn't use the language of, he doesn't say, you're a survivor, Q. Beyonce. Two of you know what I'm talking about. All right. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say I'm a survivor. He doesn't say I'm, I, I, I just get by. He says you're more than a conqueror. The language isn't defensive, it's offensive. Let's talk about that today. Uh, Jesus said this, uh, talking about tribulation, uh, in, in John 16, he says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. If you're trying to look for wholeness, peace, fulfillment outside of Jesus, you'll ultimately have something fleeting, temporary, that'll leave you empty. But here's what he says, in me, you'll have peace. Not like the world gives. In me, you'll have peace. And in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Like that's, that's the bad thing. But that's not the end of the story. Anybody ever tell you, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? Or like, give me the bad news first. Just get out of the way and he says, that's, that's the tough part. In this world, you're going to have pressure. Thipless is the Greek word. Crushing, overwhelming pressure. I don't have to ask you, do you have pressure in your life? Do you have relational pressure? Do you have spiritual pressure? Do you have financial pressure? Do you have pressure on your character? Do you have pressure that's trying to crush you? Jesus said, you're going to have that in the world, but be of good cheer. Because I've overcome. Here's the answer. Jesus says, I've already overcome that. How can Paul say we're more than conquerors? Because the one who loves you without condition and that nothing can separate you from his love, he says, that one has already overcome. Church, if you would just get this, you'd be more than a conqueror. You know, there's three things that we have to overcome as a believer. Three forces at work. The first one is the world. And, you know, there's I don't have this in my notes, but, but there's, there's two different verses that John the Apostle writes, uh, records these statements. The first one is the words of Jesus in John 6, 3.16. God so loved the world. He loved the world. What's he talking about? He loves people. God loves people. Like, I'm telling you, God, if you want to know, people, I, I hear this all the time, sadly, even in the church. We're like, you know, life would be great if it wasn't for the people. Work would be easy if it wasn't for the people. Listen, he loves people, including us. He loves people. He's passionately in pursuit of people. God loves the world, meaning the people. But then John later on would actually record this. To the church, he'd say, love not the world world, nor the things that are in the world. Because if you love the world, the love of the Father's not in you. There he's not talking. If I can make a contrast, we, we translate both of those as world in the English version of the Bible, but they're very different ideas. One's talking about people, but John says later, there's something in the world that's actually in contradiction to the nature and life of God. It's what comes to steal kill and destroy it's a thief it destroys and undermines the purpose of god it's what it's the it's the philosophy of the world it's the way the world operates without god it's the so so there is what I believe Jesus is referring to here when he says, I've overcome the world. It's not just, it's not specifically even talking about people. There's a system arrayed, there's a cultural philosophy, there's ideas that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in your life and mine. And we are called to overcome those things. That's the first thing. We have to overcome the world. We also have to overcome because, listen, it doesn't, I don't even need there to be a world that's arrayed against the things of God to have to have a battle in my life because the first battle I usually have is with me. The greatest thing Jesus ever had to set me free from was me. Come on, somebody. And the Bible describes that as the flesh. We talked about that two weeks ago. I, I won't spend too much time there. But we talked about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome the flesh win the battle the flesh deals with your desires that, that often can contradict the things of God. It's, it's, it's that, that area that we're to rule over in our life through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to put to death those things that would destroy us later. The third thing that we overcome is the devil. And, and, and while I don't like to draw undue attention to this enemy, the Bible points him out to reveal his strategies and schemes to recognize that Jesus overcame the devil and you can overcome the strategies of hell too. Uh, When I, my soccer career, my daughter just finished up soccer a week or two ago and she's such a better soccer player than me, which was not hard because my soccer career ended at the ripe old age of five. And I scored one goal. I scored one goal in the wrong net. I still remember, Like I was, I was so excited. I was taking that ball all the way down and I kicked it and it went right in the net. Nobody even tried to stop it, it went right in and then I realized I scored in the wrong net. I had the right uniform on but I was scoring for the wrong team. And see, the enemy's strategy is to even get the church to the place where we're not, we're not, we're not fighting the battle we're created for. We've got the right uniform. We carry our Bibles. We've got, you know, we've got all that stuff, but we're scoring goals for the wrong team. And the enemy, I, I'm just going to give you this real quick. If you're taking notes, I don't have time to dive into this, but I just want to give you these real quick. Here's how I believe the enemy, the devil, overcomes and tries to overcome the church. Five things. He does it with distraction. Distraction's a big one. He does it with discouragement. So many people give up before just before their greatest answer he does it with division, where he separates marriages, he separates homes and families he divides and conquers he he tears apart churches, he tears apart communities and even nations he he divides fourth one is deception he 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 in fact, I've told you this so many times but but the your your you're one truth away from freedom, and you're one life away from bondage. And the problem is, the hardest lies to be free from are the ones we like. <laughs> the problem with deception is it's deceiving. I've never met somebody that says, I want to be deceived today. <laughs> the last thing the enemy tries to do is destroy. All those, in fact, come together to destroy. And I, I believe, really, that the devil cannot defeat you outwardly. In fact, you look at the story of Israel. Israel was undefeatable when they followed God. Undefeatable. They beat armies that were ten times their size, over and over again. But the key to their defeat was always found by what the enemy could bring in and sow into their hearts. As they would depart from God to serve idols and would leave the things of God for other stuff that would destroy them. And, and Israel was often defeated, not from the outside, not from an enemy outwardly always, but it was from what the greatest battle, which was inside. And I think the church, if we're going to be defeated, it's not going to be because of the persecution. In fact, if you look at places where persecution is the strongest, the church is thriving, Iran, it was China, but now the fastest-growing church in the world is in the nation of Iran. So I want to tell you today how to be more than a conqueror. That's what we're going to focus. I got four things. If you're taking notes, number one is this, stand on what is true. It's not enough to just say, I'm more than a conqueror. I want to know how to walk it out, how to be, how to experience, how to, how to walk in this. And I think it goes to... Uh, it goes to the statement. We need to stand on what is true. Uh, what does Paul say before he gets into all of the battle, all the stuff that we face in life? He says, if God's for us. If God's for us. If you could get that one thing settled in your mind today, if you could be absolutely, completely convinced that God is for you and not against you, I think that's the, always the lie of the enemy. God's not really for you. What did he do with Adam and Eve? He went to Eve and he said, oh, has God really said that? God, God's, God's trying to keep the best from you. And the lie from the beginning has always been God really isn't for you. And if you don't know and don't believe that God is for you, you'll have a hard time trusting. you will have a hard time drawing near. you will have a hard time believing in faith. He'll have a hard time receiving God's love. So we need to stand on what is true. I heard a, a prominent, in fact, in, in pop culture, this atheist is well known for documentaries and different shows. And this, I heard this guy say this week, um, he said, I like to define what's true based on just how society's determining what's true. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Listen, if, if, if you're, an, I don't know if there's any architects in here, but if you're an architect... And I hire you to build me a house. You draw up a blueprint. Then you take that blueprint and you give it to a contractor who's going to put that blueprint into practice. Is going to implement what the plan says. And there's going to be specific, precise measurements. I'll just be honest. I don't want the contractor to go, well, those measurements are subjective. Maybe it doesn't need to be really that strong of a foundation and, and, and that precise of the, <laughs> the world plays with what's true. But here's what's really true is what God's word says. It'll last long after opinions have faded, long after cultures changed and changed again and changed a thousand more times. God's word is what's true. It'll outlast every critic and every opinion, but, but here's what God's word tells us. It tells us who God is, what God has called us to be and walk in, and what we've been called to experience and bring into the world that's in conflict with the things of God. God fights See, sometimes we think God's not for us because He fights lies in our lives. He's for me, but He's fighting the lies. He fights the thing that is holding me captive. He wages war on what rips his kids off, on what steals their future, on what robs their character, on what keeps them from from moving forward in their faith and their relationship with him. Anybody who's got kids, you know that there's been times where maybe you've had to correct your kids and they say things like, I hate you. I just hate you. And you're like, well, you say that now but you don't know that what I'm doing and why I'm correcting you is because I love you. And God's no different. God starts working in our life. God starts rearranging. God says, surrender this. We're like, God, I hate you. (laughs) Oh, that's hard. Oh, that's difficult. You don't really care about me. If we can just go back to what Paul reminds us of, he points to the cross. If he would not hold back even his own son. How will he not also with him freely give us everything? The cross forever stands of the reminder that God is with you and that God is for you. Revelation 12, 11 tells us of the overcomers. It says they overcame the devil, who in Revelation 12 is called the serpent, the dragon. They overcame him by three things, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. What is the blood of the lamb How does that help us to overcome? The blood of the lamb says you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're set free. It's a change of, it indicates a change of ownership that when the enemy comes to knock on your door, it no longer, your door, your house, your life no longer belongs to him. When he reminds you of your past, you go, I don't know that man because that man's washed by the blood of Jesus. That's not who I am anymore. There's something that's now changed. I'm forever changed. And we overcome, not by our own self-effort and by our own opinions, but by the precious blood of Jesus that is still washing away sins, that is still setting captives free, that is still breaking chains by the word of their testimony. Do you know what your testimony is? It's not just when we get up in church and, you know, remember, anybody grow grew up in church and you remember when it was Testimony Sunday and somebody would get up and they'd spend 45 minutes talking about what they had for breakfast <laughs> before they ever actually told you what God did in their life? But you know what a testimony is? It's one, what God has done, but it's also prophetic about what God can do and will do again. So you need to remind yourself. You know what your word of your testimony is? This is what Jesus has done in my life. This is who I am because of Jesus. This is how he set me free. And the lie comes, the discouragement comes, the deceptions, all the fight, all the stuff. And you go, no, this is what Jesus did for me. If he did it then, he can do it again. If he helped me then... He can help me again. Number two is be totally convinced. Be totally convinced by the love of God. I don't know where we get this idea in the church um, or we treat God's love like it's Christianity 101. Like that's the thing we learn in Sunday school and then we need to graduate from it. (laughs) If you were completely, truly, deep down convinced of the love of God, what would it change about your life? Well, here's a few things I think it would change. I think it would cause us to live fearless. (laughs) Why would I worry what others think when I'm accepted by Jesus? Why would I let comparison rule me? Why would, I, why would I change my life based on what I see on social media trying to conform to others, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to, trying to be something I'm not? Trying, why would I do any of that when I know I'm already loved? We'd live fearless. I think we'd serve God without considering the cost. What does it mean to do that? I think so many people live with obligation as their motivation. They live with fear as a motivation. They live with shame as their motivation. Well, I just need to do better. I just need to try harder. Instead of recognizing you can't earn God's love, you can't deserve on your best day, you can't earn it. And he's already given it to you freely. And if you know that, then then serving will not be out of obligation. It will be out of reciprocation. Now I love him back. Because he's first loved me. And I'm not thinking. When you do things out of obligation, here's how, what you do. You, you count the cost in the sense that you evaluate how convenient is it going to be. How much of my time, how much of, and, and we, we evaluate based on that instead of it being what, in fact, our love for God's supposed to be, is worship. Where now I give him all. Why? Because he gave all. That's that's my response. And when I really believe that God loves me unconditionally, sacrificially, I'll just be honest, there's lots of people in your life that may love you conditionally. That's just human nature. We love people, I love you because you love me back. I love you because of how you make me feel. (laughs) But God's love is unconditional. Unconditional. Like he loved you and I before we were saved, before we were following him, before we showed up to church, before we did one thing, before we drew our first breath, God loved you. God so loved the world that he gave. He loved sacrificially. In fact, here's what I'm always reminded by when I think I'm doing really well and I think I got it all figured out and I'm really helping God in my life. I remember that I didn't initiate anything. He initiated everything. He rescued me when I was running. He called me and invited me. When I was turned my back on him, he still pursued. I love the heart of Jesus. Ephesians 3, Paul said this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his grace to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, listen to this next statement, being rooted and grounded in love. I've told you this many times, but the strength of a tree is not the trunk, it's not the branches, it's not the the leaves, it's the roots. And we need to be so totally convinced of the love of God in our lives that we take root in it. Where it becomes what, We respond with, that we may be able to comprehend together with all the saints. We can't even figure it out all on our own. What is the width, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. But this verse 19, to know the love of Christ, that word know is gnosko in Greek. It literally means to know by experience, to know by experience. Like it's not just mere information. When I was a kid, my favorite basketball player, and I think the best of all time still, is Michael Jordan. Come on, somebody. Jacob is wrong. It's not LeBron. It's Michael Jordan. And, and, and here's what I remember years ago. We had, she'd come to visit our church in Phoenix. Michael Jordan's mom would come and speak. She's a great Christian lady. And uh, she knew Michael different than any of his fans knew him because she's mama, are, are you with me? She knows by close proximity, by relationship, by experience, many people know information and many people in the church know infor- We sing the songs about the love of Jesus but have we allowed it to so transform our lives and been so rooted in the love of Christ that it affects everything else about our life? It affects how we live, it affects how we worship, it affects how we go about our jobs. Because you are loved by God. Well, my, bo- my boss just doesn't appreciate me. Yeah, but you're gonna be the best person at your job because you're loved by God. Not because you're appreciated by your employees and coworkers and bosses, but because you're loved by God and you work for him first. It's quiet all of a sudden. Number three is we stay close to Jesus. How are we more than conquerors? We stay close to Jesus. What does Paul say? He says we co- we're more than conquerors through him. It's not like he says, hey, get up one day, and you just get all pumped up, and you're like, yeah, I'm more than a conqueror. Let's go. Let's fight the devil today. You just do that in your own strength, he will eat your lunch and throw away the bag. But if you know that you're more than conquerors through Jesus, and the greatest source of strength in your life, the ultimate source of wisdom, and the only source of victory in your life is Jesus Psalm five. the psalmist said this, I called on the Lord in my distress. I didn't try it on my own. I didn't try to figure it out on my own. Here's what you'll find out. Your strength is sufficient to a point. Your experience helps you to a point, but you will always find that it runs out. I called on the Lord in my distress. The Lord answered me, and he set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I will see my desire on those that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I wonder if we're disappointed because our confidence is always in people. And this is not a people will hurt you all the time kind of message, but here's the reality. People are not God. People are not meant to occupy the place of God in your life, including your spouse quiet again Jenna it's quiet if you're looking for that person to complete you fulfill you be be the all for you you will run out empty every single time you'll put demands on that person that you can only receive and only experience from God well I don't have anybody oh you do you have God and he's there he's a breath away he's a prayer away he's a call away Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 4, and this is the Message Bible. He says, we've been surrounded and battered by troubles. That that would be bad if that was it. He says, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial, torture, mockery, murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, uh, it often looks like things are falling apart. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Okay, good. It's not just me. Um, On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. That's why when you face trouble, don't run from God. Don't run from Jesus. Don't run from his kingdom, from his purpose. Run to Jesus. Don't run from fellowship with other believers because you're going through hell. You need people around you who are gonna pray heaven down. We need to stay close to Jesus. James 4, 7 says, therefore, here's what you do, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee. It's that simple. (laughs) I don't know if you've come from, from a background where you're, you're rebuking the devil. Rebuking the devil's a good thing, but it has to first be preceded by the first thing that this verse says. Some of us don't even know what rebuke means. I didn't either for a long time. I'm like, I'm rebuking the devil. I don't even know what rebuking means. I bind the devil. I have no idea what binding means. Um, but here's what this, this says. Submit to God, resist the devil. In other words, get you and Jesus figured out first you draw near to Jesus. You trust him with everything. You give him your life. Well, I'm going through this. I'm going through that. You know, the devil's, listen, we first submit to God. And when the enemy shows up, we resist him. Not every thought that pops in your head needs to be treated equally, needs to be accepted, needs to be tolerated, some things need to be resisted. That's why I think it's important to know the source. I told you that 2 weeks ago. Consider the source. When something's from God, you submit to him. When something's from the enemy, you fight it. Resist. But here's where we here's why we are not often more than conquerors in our experience is we flip those two. We submit to the lie. We submit to the fear. We submit to the difficulty. We submit to the feelings. And we resist what God's trying to do because we go, oh, God, that's going to be difficult. People might misunderstand that kind of surrender. (laughs) That kind, okay. Last point, final point. Number four, and this is important keep on the offensive. He doesn't call us defenders survivors or even protectors. I know somewhere along the way we thought, you know, from generation to generation, our job is to protect the stuff of the church. Our favorite doctrines, our favorite denominational structures, our favorite events in church, all those things. But here's what he called us to be on offense. Not protecting our own agendas and our own plans, but actually on offense, taking ground. More than conquerors, Conquerors, I've never heard of a conqueror who stayed still. I'm a history nerd. I like history. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if that changes your opinion of me. But when I hear of William the Conqueror going from Normandy to England and fighting the Battle of Hastings and conquering what now we call the UK, he's called William the Conqueror because he took territory. It's super deep, I I know it is. Like like he, he left where he was and fought a battle for what he would take. And as the church, he doesn't call us survivors. Survivors just try to hang on. Oh Jesus, please come back quickly before I backslide. Do you know how I can tell in my own life when I'm on defense or on offense? I can tell by the way I'm praying. I can tell by where, now listen, there are times It is perfectly valid and okay. I cried out to the Lord in my distress. Like there are some times where I need some help. Anybody else besides me? There is no shame in saying, God, I need help. In fact, that's where we all start. And we never graduate from there. We still need God's help. But the difference is we don't just stay in a place of we're always on defense every day in crisis going, God, I need, I can't do this today. What if instead of just praying for your own life, you started praying for your whole family? That's what offense looks like. I don't mean being offended. I mean, like, being on offense. Like, you're, you're defending the basket, and now you're trying to dribble to the other basket. Like, you're, you're protecting... Your territory, but now you're advancing into the territory of the opponent. That's what a more than a conqueror does. A more than a conqueror, the enemy will, his greatest strategy against the church, if he loses you to Jesus, he will then try to fight to keep you irrelevant to the purpose of God. And you are born for to make a mess. You are born for, for, for the kingdom of God to turn the world upside down. Every single person in here. Right. I could never heard that in church before. Because the enemy loves to keep the church on defense, just surviving. One last story I want us to look at. Jason, if you want to get ready. Matthew, uh, excuse me, not Matthew, Acts 28. Read this passage, and then we're gonna unpack it real fast, and then I'll pray. Uh, I I love this. Now, when they had escaped, who's they? Uh, Paul and, let me give you a setting first. Paul the Apostle, has been arrested for preaching Jesus. He's been put in prison, and he appealed because he's a Roman citizen. And at that time, if you're a Roman citizen, you can't be punished the same way as a non-citizen, and you have the right to appeal. In his case, he appeals to Caesar, the Roman emperor. And the reason he does this is not to protect himself. He has a heart's desire to take the gospel to the most influential city in the entire world, Rome. And so he appeals to Caesar, and they put him on a prison ship, and they set sail. And along the way, they encounter a storm. In fact, Paul would later write that he was shipwrecked three times. <laughs> so anytime I think I'm having a bad week, I just go read some stuff that Paul walked through. He was beaten. He was uh, in prison multiple times. He was persecuted. Uh, so, so, so here's what it says. When they escaped a storm, they were in a storm. You can read it in Acts 27. They escaped this boat, had come to the place where it's broken up by, at the shore, and they come along to an island called Malta, verse 1. And the natives who were in Malta showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. So here's the scene. The ship is destroyed. They're in a storm. They come to a shore, and the people who are there make them a fire, and it's like, man, we just got out of the storm. It's been a bad day. It's all going to be great now. Verse three, but when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, he laid them on the fire and a viper came out because of the fire, because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So, so here's a day in life of the, uh, of the apostle Paul. He's arrested, he's shipwrecked, he's cold, he's wet, he's on the shore, he's trying to make a fire, trying to warm everybody up and now a snake jumps out and bites him. No matter how bad your day was before coffee this morning, you probably didn't have a snake jump out and bite you. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no, no harm. The fi- Can I just tell you something? The snake, the viper, was there all along in the sticks. The fire brought it out. Have you ever started going after the things of God in your life and all of a sudden stuff comes out that you didn't know was there? You're like, I I didn't know I even had that kind of attitude. (laughs) I didn't even know I could struggle in this area. Well, it's just the snakes coming out. Because they were already there, but now God's light is revealing what's been secure in the dark. And God never brings to light to shame, but to set free. The snake jumps out, bites Paul, and Paul, if he's like some of us in church, he would have gone, oh, poor me. Oh, you have no idea how bad it's been. I need a support group to talk about all the people with snake bites. Let's get together and talk about our snake bites. (laughs) And you know what's dangerous about a snake bite? It's It's not the teeth, it's the venom. It's not the initial bite. It's what comes after. It's not what they said. It's the bitterness that's still in, in the wound. It's the offense. It's the hurt. It's the betrayal. It's, it's, it's what the enemy injected into the wound after the fact. But Paul is more than a conqueror. He shakes it back into the fire. Because of the same fire that revealed the snake is the same fire that will destroy the snake. And if that was the end of the story, man, it'd be a great story. But Paul is on offense. Watch what happens. After they looked at him, and they thought he was going to swell up and die, but after a while, they saw no harm come to him, verse 6, they changed their minds and said he was a god. In that region, there was an estate of a leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in, prayed for the man, he laid hands on him and healed him. This was done. Listen to what happens next. This place of shipwreck, this place of loss, this place that could have been the greatest setback and could have been the end of Paul's story. Watch what it says. The rest of those who had diseases came and were healed. The whole island has revival. What started as a shipwreck and a snake bite turned into an island-wide revival on Malta. That's what offense looks like. He could have been defensive and gone, oh God, please help me with just this snake bite. Okay, let's get back on another boat and let's leave. But he was looking for opportunities to make a difference. And this man was sick. He said, I'm gonna pray for you. He laid his hands on him. He prayed for him. The man was healed. And then the whole island comes out because Paul. if Paul had given up at the snake bite or the shipwreck. That never would happen. Church, you're not called to just live in defense. You're not called to just survive. You're called to be more than a conqueror. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. Forgiveness conquers. Some of us have some vipers right now. What they said and what they did, and how they hurt us, and how they treated us. It's time to shake those off. Some to lay those down. It's time to give those to Jesus, submit them to God. I think the biggest thing the enemy uses to operate in our lives is when we hold on to things we're called to shake off. We're called to let go of. Faith conquers fear. Grace conquers shame. The spirit conquers flesh. Freedom conquers captivity. You're more than a conqueror, church. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.